In the few Bibles, it's 524. Invitation to the thirsty. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not needed? Uh, sorry, what is not bread? It's better. And your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richness of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Trevor. What an incredible invitation that is. <laughs> Father God, today we ask that as we explore these words, that an invitation might be real in each one of our hearts, that we might be content in what you've given us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard an interesting story about a rich industrialist who uh, was disturbed when he was walking down the beach and he saw fishermen sitting lazily beside his boat. And he says to the man, why aren't you out there fishing? And the fisherman says, because I've caught enough for today. Industrial says, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And the fisherman looks at him and says, what would I do with them? The industrial says you could earn more money and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish and make more money and soon you'd have a, have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman then asks, then what would I do? The industrialist says, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman says, what do you think I'm doing now? I think that's a wonderful bit of perspective in that story because so few people actually reach that level of contentment in their lives. As a poet by the name of Benjamin Disraeli puts it this way, as a rule man's a fool, when it's hot he wants it cool, when it's cool he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. Summarises it again, doesn't it? I wonder if that's speaking to you this morning. Because the world is filled with discontented people. Everywhere you look, there are people striving to get more stuff, more things. They're laboring more and more. And not many people in the world seem to be completely content and satisfied with their place in life. Why is that? I think that the answer lies in the fact that people are looking for true contentment in, in places and people and things that can never really provide that true contentment to them. If you want to open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 55 in verse 2, let me read it for you. It's interesting what it says. It says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So people are working hard for all these things. People are, are seeking satisfaction in their possessions. They think that things will bring them contentment. They spend their time making money so they can buy, spend the money on, the, on accumulating more and more things. So they're looking for the contentment in the things they possess. 
Unfortunately, what many folks fail to realize is that possessions are temporary at best. They wear out. They must be replaced. And all those things that we hold with such high regard, one day they're going to be left behind. Ever notice that when someone dies? We bury them. And then there's all this paraphernalia that needs to be dealt with. No one takes anything with them, do they? You won't take your house, your car, your gun, your boat, or whatever it is, the thing that you like so much. You won't take it into eternity with you. And everything you possess is going to be left behind. So if a person acquires too many possessions, you find that those possessions actually possess you after a while, don't they? A man named Bill Earl puts it this way. If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. <laughs> I'm like, eh, that summarizes again. Possessions can never satisfy the deepest needs of the soul. So some people think possessions are the, the key. Others, it's the pursuits that they, you know, they, they, they labor on what does not satisfy. They spend their, their, all their time and their energy pursuing things that can never give them satisfaction of their soul. There's work, there's hobbies, there's sports. The pleasure of life can never satisfy the deepest need of the soul. And we struggle with that as Australians. I mean, so many people worship sport, don't they? It's kind of the Aussie thing. Interestingly, though, the more, the more you invest your time and effort in these things, the more they're going to require from you. And regardless of what you pursue in life, you'll find that in the end, your pursuits are going to pursue you. That's the way it works. If you seek satisfaction in these things, you'll discover that it takes more and more of these things to bring you contentment in your life. And just like possessions, the pursuits of life, they end when this earthly life ends. So in these verses that Trevor read for us this morning, God reveals for us the true source of permanent satisfaction. He issues an ironclad guarantee of perfect eternal contentment to all who will hear his voice and respond to his invitation. So I want to look at this invitation to contentment this morning. And we'll notice some of the components of God's gracious invitation to be content. And let me tell you, as I preach to you, I'm also preaching to me. Because I'm one of the most discontented people you ever come across. I'm often looking you know, for the next you know, better way to live my life. And you're like, ah, oh, this is a good sermon for Martin to listen to. So I hope you get blessed too, because I certainly am. Preparing it really got to me, I can tell you. <laughs> Let's have a look at the first verse. Come, all you, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There are some credible offers in this invitation. When God issues his invitation in these verses, he makes some offers that are just too good to pass up. The first one is the right provisions that God gives to us. There are three basic substances that God offers in this verse. This, this first verse. Fascinating to look at him. First of all, he offers water. Water. Now that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? God offers us water. Water is one of the most important substances for the human body. We're made up of about 70% water. We can last for about three days without a drink, and then we die. So we have to have water to live. In the Bible, though, water is often a picture of the new birth that occurs. 
When Jesus talks with Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So it's a picture of the gospel message, the very message that we need to receive by faith <clears throat> in order for a person to be saved. When Jesus spoke to the, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he says, he says to her, Whoever drinks of this water, referring to the water in the well, shall thirst again. But whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. It's interesting when you look at that, that, that verse, the word drinks is used twice. It's used once in the present tense, and it refers to a continual action. In other words, even if you drink continually from Jacob's well, you're going to get thirsty again. We all know that. I can do with a drink. Thank you very much. But we all know, shortly, I'm going to need another one, aren't I? But the second time... Jesus used the word drinks. It's in the aorist tense. And that refers to a, a once for all action. In other words, if you drink once from the well of Jesus, you're never going to thirst again in that particular way. He's talking about something else. So Jesus promises complete contentment to everyone who will drink of the water that he offers. And unlike physical water, which we need to drink again and again, the spiritual water that Jesus offers will forever satisfy our souls. So we need to take one drink of it, and that's all we need. And Jesus offers that, 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 that offer. It's made here in the book of Isaiah. It's made elsewhere, even in the end of the Bible, in Revelations. The book of Revelation, you'll find it too. There's, a, there's, a, there's an offer to drink there too. In uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So from beginning to end of the Bible, this offer is there for people to drink this spiritual water, which is water of life, which satisfies us completely so that we won't have that thirst anymore. Let's go back to Isaiah 55. First of all, there's the offer of water. And then he says, come by wine. Oh, that's a bit controversial. In the Bible, yeah. It says so in the Bible, though, doesn't it? Come by some wine. In biblical times, wine was just as important as water because often the water was not, not so fit to drink. And so wine was added to the water, I suppose, to help kill some bugs. Make the water drinkable. Taste better, perhaps. But when you look at the whole image of wine in the Bible... It's often used as a picture of joy. Psalm 104 verse 15 says, Wine gladdens the heart of man. Now, isn't that true? <laughs> hey, Wine gladdens the heart of man. Now, hang on a second. I'm not advising that you all go home and have, you know, get stuck into the plonk. Forget it. That's not what I'm saying. Because what's going on here? When is it, when is it that you drink wine? Well, usually it's a special occasion. It's a feast. It's a celebration. And you're always glad at feasts and celebrations, aren't you? Well, generally, you are. That's the whole idea. The, the, the picture behind it is we are feasting and we are celebrating together. So wine is also then a picture for us also of the Holy Spirit 
who enters into the child of God at the moment of salvation and allows us to experience, what does it say in the Bible? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Brothers and sisters, we can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory through the wine of the Holy Spirit who's in our hearts. You see, God doesn't just save us. He also fills us with his joy. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us who gives us peace and comfort and joy as we travel on towards heaven itself where we'll see our Lord face to face. On the day of Pentecost, the Jews thought that the Spirit-filled disciples were drunk with new wine. But the Apostle Peter tells them, these men are not drunk with wine. It's too early in the morning for them to have a drink. He says, no, they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And just as wine controls the drunk, the Spirit of God controls the saints of God. There's a fascinating story in, in, the, in the second gospel of, of John where um, Jesus takes, it commands that six empty stone pots be f- filled with water at the marriage of, at Cana of Galilee. He commands these, these water pots to be filled with water and he transforms the water into wine. That's just what God does with us as people. He takes our old stony hearts and he fills them with saving water of his gospel and he transforms us by his power. That's what happens to human beings. He places his spirit within us and he pours us out to his glory in the world. That's the wine of the Holy Spirit that should be in our hearts. So there's water, there's wine, and it also says come by wine and milk. Milk is something that's important too because milk is essential for healthy growth. Milk is the first substance that newborn babies receive for their nourishment. Milk is the provision of the mother for the hungry baby. And milk contains all the essential nutrients to transform a baby into a healthy child. That's what that's all about. But milk in the Bible is also a picture of the word of God. So not only does God give us the water of life that saves us and the spirit of God that fills us with joy, he also gives us the word of God to help us grow go strong in the things of God. The Bible is often referred to as milk. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2 says, I gave you milk. Refers to it also in Hebrews. You know what? It's fascinating that there are many people who are of the family of God who have not had the benefit of a formal education. Some of them didn't even learn to read or write very well at all. And the world looks at them as being ignorant and unlearned people. But in truth, they're far wiser in the things of the God than this, work, than, this God will, than this world will ever be. They know the way of salvation. They know the way of righteousness. They know the way of truth. And they know this because why? They've been drinking deeply of the good milk of the word of God. So we're offered water, wine, and milk. And you see the picture that's behind that. Interestingly, though, these things are offered to us at the right price. The world makes you pay for everything you get. Now, religion will make you labor for every blessing that you think you will receive. Sin, the flesh, and the world will make you pay dearly for any promise of contentment that they may offer to you. On the other hand, God, he places every offer he has on the table here as a free gift. How different that is. 
He offers salvation and contentment to all who will come free of charge. Revelation 22 verse 17 says, talks about the free gift of the water of life. Romans 3.24 says we are justified freely by God's grace. How much do you have to pay? Nothing. And since God's gifts are free, that means that anyone can receive them. God doesn't require money. He doesn't require righteousness. He doesn't require good works or any other resource from any of us. He wouldn't accept those things even if they were offered to him. The only currency that God accepts is the currency of simple faith. He'll open up the storehouse of all his blessings to all of those who will exercise simple faith in his offer and come to him. Brothers and sisters, that's an offer that anyone can afford. Now, how can God offer these things free of charge? Because someone else paid the price. That's how. His son, Jesus. He's the one who lived the perfect life. He's the one who died on the cross for us to pay the penalty of our sins. He's the only one who could pay our penalty because he's the only perfect man that ever lived. As the songwriter puts it, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Praise God. Praise God. So what's we offered so far? Water, wine, milk at the right price. But there's some incredible opportunities that come with this invitation. So what does the person who accepts this offer now receive? Well, let me read verses 2 and 3. Why spend money on what does not bread, and you will labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, and that your soul may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Interesting. First of all, there's an opportunity to be saved. In verse 3, it talks about the soul shall live. God promises to those people who come to him that their soul will live. Now, when we read our Bibles, we know that a soul left to itself is separate from God, isn't it? That's the natural state of human beings. We're in terrible danger. Every soul that's born into the world is a sin-stained soul. Every soul that's born in the world is headed to a place called hell. But when a person receives God's free offer and drinks the water of life, when that person believes the gospel of grace, that person is then saved. Now we throw that word, word saved around a lot in church, but it's a very special word. Saved means to be rescued from all harm and danger. That's very special to my heart. I'm rescued from all harm and danger through God. What danger am I in? It's not the dangers of this world I'm talking about. It's the danger of an eternity without God. And I'm saved from that. I'm saved from that great danger. I'm saved from the danger of being experiencing the wrath of God against my sin. That's what I'm saved from. So when God makes his offer to a lost person and that person accepts Jesus as their saviour, they enter into a salvation or a saved relationship with God. And at that moment they are delivered from condemnation of sin. Romans 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? There's no condemnation for you. 
When the day comes, judgment day, you will stand before God. And you go like, ah. The books will be opened. The record of your life will be read. And there will be no condemnation. Simply a time of reward for you. Because Jesus has already paid the price. Praise God. So we are saved from the wrath of God. We pass from spiritual death into spiritual life. Indeed, the Bible tells us we become a brand new creature. We are set free. Thank God that he saves us. So there's salvation. There's also the opportunity for satisfaction. Verse 2, the second half of verse 2, says, Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. That's interesting. <laughs> to every one of us who receive God's offer, we have this offer that our soul will delight in the richest of fare. The richest of fare means an incredible abundance. When God saves us, he gives us a brand new life. And that life is going to be better than the life we had before. Jesus puts it this way in, in John 10 verse 10. He says, I have come that they may have abundant life. I have an abundance of life within me. In fact, my life is so abundant that it's eternal. Praise God. I know this body's going to stop. But the man who lives within it goes on forever. And Jesus, you know, he causes me to rest in him. So I'm no longer needing to seek satisfaction in this world round about me. I don't have to look for happiness and peace in any wrong places anymore. I can find in Jesus what I need to have true peace with God and satisfaction in the life that I live. The list of blessings that, that, that we enjoy as the saints of God is far too long for one message. But let me name a few. There's peace, there's joy, there's rest, there's acceptance, there's blessing, there's love, there's salvation. No wonder Christians ought to be the most happy, joyful people in the world. Because we have all of those things as our present possession. And there's also, not only is there salvation, not only is there self, there's satisfaction, there's also an opportunity for security. Verse 3 says that God's promise is going to be that he's going to make an everlasting covenant with you. That's exciting too. A covenant is an agreement that God makes with his people. Now some covenants, some agreements are conditional. That means God's going to promise to bless you if you'll work to walk to a certain standard or a certain level of living. But this covenant that God's offering, this covenant has one requirement. When a person accepts God's free offer and they drink of the water of life, God makes an unconditional covenant. You simply need to drink the water of life. And then God makes an unconditional covenant with you. It's an everlasting, unconditional covenant with you. Now call it what you want. Eternal security, once saved, always saved, eternal life, whatever kind of label you want to stick on it, it means the same thing. Those who come to God and accept his offer of salvation, they are promised that their salvation will last for all eternity. I feel secure. How about you? Do you feel secure in your relationship with God through your faith in Jesus? That's a security that no one and nothing in this world can take away from us. Ever. Those who receive Jesus need never fear that their salvation can be taken away from them. Have a look at 1 Peter. 
1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 let me read it for you it talks about us and says we are through faith we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time God is protecting me right now God is shielding me by his power that's how secure I am it depends not on me at all it depends entirely on the activity of God and he is shielding me he's protecting me so that on the last day I'll walk into his presence and I'll be with him for the rest of eternity that applies to you brothers and sisters through your faith in Christ you are protected by God no one can take it from me no one can do anything to me I can't even break it God's protecting me praise God so we've seen so far that God gives us the right provisions offers water, wine and milk we've seen the opportunities of, of this invitation there's salvation, there's satisfaction there's security now what do I have to do here comes the rub what do you got to do this is a tremendous offer all the things we need for eternal salvation are offered to us at the right price so what are we required to do to accept the gift there are three requirements in these verses and don't worry they're not hard to meet okay this is a good news story I can promise you first of all there's something that you must have verse 1 tells us that this offer is for all who are thirsty Have another sip of water. Thirst is a common human need, isn't it? There is no human being on the planet who hasn't been thirsty. We all experience physical thirst. But the thirst that God's talking about here is spiritual thirst. Now, whilst everyone experiences physical thirst, I'm not sure that everyone experiences the same spiritual thirst. Some people have their, their thirst satisfied by the sins of the flesh and the world. And that kind of person just doesn't see their need. And I've, I've spoken at length with various people who just don't see their need for God. I can't make it any plainer. I speak to them the same language that they do. I draw pictures for them, whatever. It just doesn't work. They don't seem to see their need. They have no desire for new life. They have no reason to come to God. They're blinded. But every now and then I find a person who has a spiritual thirst and they look at the life they're living and they become unsatisfied and they want more than they have and they realize that something is missing and those are the people who become candidates for offer for God's offer for salvation. Pray, pray, pray that people become thirsty in a spiritual sense. Maybe we should be handing out salt tablets all the time or something, I don't know. Because God's offer is only for sinners. He didn't come into the world to save people who think they're righteous. God cannot and he will not save a person who doesn't see their need. He will, however, save all of those who see their need and who will come to him. This desire and this thirst for God, they are not natural experiences. It's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm quite convinced. When the Spirit of God begins to deal with the human heart, he'll convict that person of their sin and of their need, and he creates with them a thirst for more and more and a desire for God. I remember that desire, that hunger, that thirst that was in my heart for Jesus. And he met me personally, 
and he satisfied that thirst. One of the greatest days in your life will be when the Spirit of God draws you to come to Jesus. Be praying that way, that the Spirit is working in hearts, drawing people to Jesus. So first of all, we need to have a thirst. And secondly, there's something we must hear. Four times in these verses, God tells Israel they need to hear his message. He says, listen, listen to me, give ear and hear. If they'll hear him calling, they can come to him and get what they need to be saved. And four times in these verses, he tells them to come to him. And once he invites them to come and eat. If there's a soul thirst that you have for a different life, if you are dissatisfied with the way you're living and your prospects for eternity, guess what? It's the Lord. He's speaking to you. If you hear his voice and come to him, he'll save you, he'll give you eternal life. And all it takes is a positive response to his call and salvation becomes a reality. Listen to these verses. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. What's it say? It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's all you've got to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Call in the name of the Lord. John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. <coughs> it's a simple responding to the call. We get thirsty on the inside. I want to respond to God. Is he calling you? There was once a wise woman who was traveling in the mountains and she found a precious stone in a stream. And the next day, she met another traveler who was hungry. And the wise woman, she opened her bag to share her food. The hungry traveler, he saw this precious stone in her bag. And he says, would you give me that precious stone? She did it without hesitation. This traveler, he left rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew that stone was worth enough for him to be secure for the rest of his life. But a few days later, he comes back to return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said, I know how valuable this stone is, but I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me this stone. That's a profound little story, isn't it? The wise woman could let go of the precious stone because she knew, knew true contentment in her heart. She didn't need riches to give her joy. She had joy in her heart. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is offering us today. A joy and contentment in each and every one of our hearts. So that we can hold the things of this world very loosely. We could give them away. We actually don't need them. We have a relationship with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. That, that is the source of true contentment. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the incredible offer you've given us today that we can come to you and have our thirst quenched. That we can come to you and know that nothing in this world satisfies us. That we can come to you and we can say thank you, Father God, that you have made with us an everlasting covenant that you will faithfully love us that you'll bring us through this life through the doorway of, of death itself and into your presence for eternity 
Father, I pray that we might truly be set free of our desire to have the things of this world. Enable us to hold all those things very loosely, Lord, but hold on tight to you instead. May we give you glory every day of our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.